when will the media rights deal get done? And should Utah fans be concerned that it's taken so long? We're talking about that and more on today's Locked On Utes. You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and thank you for making Lockdown News your first listen every single day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube. If this is your guys' first time watching our show, make sure you guys like and subscribe. My name is JJ Wistel, former intern inside the University of Utah Athletic Department. And on today's show, we're going to talk about a little bit of spring ball stuff relating to the other teams in the Pac-12, a little bit on Utah as well. But first, I want to start with the Pac-12 media rights deal, what's taking so long on it. And in order to help us answer that question, it's the person who, outside of maybe Dennis Dodd, has been covering it the most, <laughs> and that is uh, Spencer McLaughlin and uh, Jose Lock- on Pac-12 podcast and Spencer just starting with what's taking it so long my feeling is it just feels like we know who it's I feel like we know it's going to come down to I, I compared it to the air I've compared it to the Aaron Rodgers trade before we know it's Jets and uh and Packers need to make the deal they're just kind of both like well you need to give us this well you need to get us that like either way like it has to get done the pa- like for speaking to that thing specifically like the Packers will owe Rodgers way too much money like they have to do it ESPN who I do think this is going to end up in something like those late night games are really valuable to them I think the streaming services getting their foot in the door and adding football is extremely valuable they want to add it the Pac-12 just has a certain price and I think that's where we're seeing the disconnect and I think that's where they're like yeah, we're willing to wait it out for a little bit, but I, I do still feel confident this is going to get done. And it's a reason we've seen all these athletic directors come out and so vehemently deny that they're talking to other teams or conferences. Yeah. Just to be clear, Dennis Dodd is a reporter and I am an opinion host. Those yeah. are two very different things. So he's been, you know, in the teeth of it more than I have, but you're not wrong that I have opined on the matter as there much as anybody that I know. So look, the timeline keeps keeps getting pushed out right it was ah you know maybe sometime in february maybe march oh okay well you want to have it done by the conference tournament right oh. no no they're not no they're not gonna do that okay well presidents are on the record saying they expect it to be done in mid-march yeah that that came and went then they were on the record saying yeah we're in the final stages we're we're a couple weeks away we're we're, we're almost there we're confident in the deal yeah that 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 didn't happen so what what I what I theorize, and that's all the Pac-12 has left left us to do. By the way, you know, for you know, Pac-12 athletic directors and presidents who are you know frustrated at times, Rick George at Colorado, the latest one about you know what other people say about the conference, what other people speculate or stuff. When you don't give people anything to go off of, but rumors and speculation, you're going to get more rumors and speculation. So the Pac-12 has gotten that, and. You know, when they came out and said, yeah, it's going to be end of spring, early summer. I think what's happened over the last several weeks, you know, from the time when Mark Harlan at Utah, Robert Robbins, Michael Crow, the presidents down at the Arizona schools went on the record at the same time in a seemingly coordinated effort to say, we're staying together. We're committed to that. We're confident in the deal. It's in its final stages. They were doing that, I think, to, you know, kind of fight the PR battle, get people off their backs a little bit and, you know, put a, a united front forward. But where I think they made a mistake was saying the deal was in its final stages. Now, it might very well have been, as I'll talk about in a sec, but if you wanted to just present a united front and remind people we don't want to go to the Big 12, which they've stated over and over and over again, each of the four corner schools 
have said countless times they want to stay in the pack. And people are still just talking about them breaking off and going to the Big 12. And by the way, wanting to, being able to, two different things, but their desire has been made very clear. They want to stay in the pack. If you want to present a united front, you didn't have to say the media rights deal was in its final stages, which leads me to my second point. I think there might have been a deal that was in its final stages because you didn't, no one was requiring them. The Pac-12 front office certainly wasn't because they've been dead silent this entire time. We haven't heard from George Klyovkov. We haven't heard from anybody. So they were not requiring those presidents and ADs to go on the record and say, yeah, the deal is in its final stages. They were either being told that or it might have been. And I think what happened, this is speculative on my part, I think once they were getting down to the dollar figures discussion, someone or multiple someones said, no, let's see if we can do better. That might've been George Klyovkov. That might've been Oregon and Washington. Heck, it could have been Utah for all we know. It might've been Stanford and Cal. I don't, it was unlikely to be Stanford and Cal, but it might've been Arizona. I don't know. So I think that's what it came down to. And now they pushed this timeline all the way out to May or June because there's no actual hard deadline here, right? Like the, the conference has taken a PR hit. They're, you know, a laughing stock. They're all this sort of stuff. But the Pac-12 has made it very clear that they don't care. They don't care what you think. They don't care what I think. They don't care what YouTube commenter 86742 thinks. And they don't care what the Monty Show thinks. They don't care what Andrew Marchand thinks. They don't, they don't care, right? They're not fighting the PR battle. They're letting it play out. And by pushing it down to, you know, end of spring, early summer, they're saying, look, we're the only conference out here. So what's the hurry, right? The only hard deadlines they've got are pertaining to June 30th, which is when San Diego State and I believe SMU would have to let their conferences know that they are leaving the league by or else they would have to face a higher exit fee if they announce at a later point in time. So that's the only hard deadline the Pac-12 is operating on here. And then the second thing here, JT, is the Pac-12 is currently about what is what is the month of July the seventh month of the year about 15 less than 15 months away from their current deal expiring the big 10 negotiated their deal and got it done 11 months before their deal expired which was a historic negotiation so the pac-12 might look at the big 10 and say well if they got done 11 months beforehand what do we need to be done 15 or 16 months beforehand for we might as well explore all of our options and that's why i think they extended the timeline so much right where it was middle of march end of march couple weeks now they've just thrown it out you know a couple months down the road because they're looking at it saying okay we're going to just explore every possible option here because technically they're able to do that which is dangerous on the one hand and potentially advantageous in another depending on who they can get involved but i think that's why you saw such a big extension on when the deal would be expected to be done or what the next quote unquote timeline is so that they can go explore all their options and try to get something better than what they've been receiving from media companies to this point. I think that's a great point, especially when you're talking about the big tense timeline. I think that is important to keep in mind is that is when they did theirs. And I think that we feel what we have felt before, why it would get done. And I think why there's this sense of urgency is just because look, the Big Tens pulled Pac-12 teams away. So it feels like, hey, you need to get this to make sure everyone is locked in for sure committed. But if all they do is continue to tell you like, no, we're locked in, we're committed. But the other thing that might add to that is let's get as much money as we can, even if it takes a little bit more time. I think that is probably what's going on, which is exactly what you were to, speaking to as well. Spencer, I got a question for you, though, based on something you just 
uh, said, do you think that SMU and San Diego State will before that June 30th deadline? Do you think they will end up opting out and then coming over to the Pac-12? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if the offer came, I think they would most certainly accept. I don't think there's a world where either one of them would say, no, you'd be crazy to the amount of you know, athletics money, the reputation, the amount of academics money that comes with going to the power five. It's a huge gap. I mean, it is, it is, it is is night and day. So yeah, they they would absolutely say yes. And San Diego state, I think is just waiting for the PAC 12 announcement, right? Like they, they they have their president, Adela De La Torre. She has been on the record several times making not so subtle hints about, (laughs) well, we could be somewhere else. You never know. (laughs) We could make a change. You never know. We're prepared to do that. You never know. And it's like, okay, so it sounds like you do know. And they're a perfect fit for the Pac-12, Southern California. I mean, I could give you a 15-minute spiel on why they're ideal coming off a national championship game appearance in men's basketball, just kind of the cherry on top on, you know, why the Aztecs should be one of the expansion teams here. But the Pac-12's got to get that done. They've got to get a deal. San Diego State needs to be a part of it because if they don't, the Big 12 will go after San Diego State, or at least they'd be foolish not to. But Brett Yormark, their commissioner, has stated very clearly he wants to get into all four time zones. He's in the central time zone. He's now in the mountain time zone with BYU. If he wants to get in the western time zone, San Diego State would be a perfect fit. They're a basketball first school and a good football school. They'd be a great fit in in the Big 12. They're a better cultural fit in the Pac-12. Makes a lot of sense to your point. It's going to be interesting to see if the Pac-12 can get that done. We're going to continue to talk media rights deal in a moment. But first, I want to talk to you guys about our friends at Built Bar. Looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and calories? Then you need the best tasting protein bar ever. Built. you got to try this. If you're like me and you want to make healthier snack choices but don't want to compromise on taste, they have got just the thing for you. Built Bars and Built Puffs. Built Bars are healthy and tasty amazing. Seriously, they taste so amazing. You won't think they're good for you, but you got to try them. What make Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate, dark chocolate. That's right. Real chocolate. And they come in great flavors, churro, peanut butter, brownie, and cookies and cream. Spencer, I know you said you like the, uh, the mint brownie, mint, mint brownie, brownie for the win, baby, all the way mint brownie for the win. And one of the great things about mint brownie and all those other bars is I'm not sure how they do it, but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros. What's even better is they're healthy, only 130 calories and four grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. You guys could continue to go to built.com and get them, but you can also head to your local Smith's or Sam's club to pick up your box of built bars today. So make sure you guys head over to your local Smith's or Sam's club, or just go to built.com to get in on your box of built bars today. Spencer coming back into this one. Like you, we were talking media rights deal and everything. I, I do think that one last really interesting thing just about the media rights deal in general is where the teams, of course, are going to be playing their games on. As I said, I, I feel like it's still going to end up coming down to ESPN and then some combination. I feel like ESPN and Amazon. That's where I've, I've said it for a while. And look, I was wrong. I said if this wasn't done by the end of March, I would be shocked. That is obviously passed now. And I think it's to your point. It's because of some of those those the negotiations and just some of the money things that haven't quite lined up, but it does feel like they're locked in on each other. So I still feel like we're going to see it be Amazon and ESPN, but look the CW, we've heard some rumors there. Ion, there's lots of things. Where's your gut telling you that the PAC 12 games are going to be played on in the future. Yeah. I think ESPN is going to be there. I, I don't have a great read or feel on whether or not it'd be Apple or Amazon as that primary streaming partner, but you know, given that they're, they're, they're extending it by so much, I just can't rule out that somebody else is going to be in play, right? We've heard 
the Apple or Amazon or maybe some combination of the two. Uh, perhaps that's a little bit more of a fringe idea. I think it'd be one or the other for your your streaming service and, you know, pick up a lot of that Pac-12 network content. But I wouldn't rule out, like, why else would you extend it all the way to May in early June if you weren't trying to basically start from scratch with somebody who we haven't heard of uh, from, from being in the fold at, at this point in time? So I, I, I definitely expect ESPN to be involved. I would prefer Amazon over Apple. I think there's greater potential there in terms of reaching the number, the greatest number of people. They've got way, way more subscribers to Amazon Prime than Apple does right now. But if Apple offers offers you the right dollar figure, maybe you have to, you know, give them a look on uh, on that front, which they certainly would. But I, I won't be surprised if there are three. I don't think there'd be more than three entities involved. I think you're looking at at least two but I don't see any more than three. I agree. Because I don't know what the logic would be of splitting between Apple and Amazon as your streaming partner, but I do see the logic of splitting between two different cable entities, whether that's ESPN and the CW, or if Fox were to get involved again, or if CBS were to get back to the table or somebody like that, or I don't know, just like go down the list of all the cable companies that are readily available for your standard standard TV cable package uh, across the country for millions and millions of homes that people can just, you know, catch while they're flipping through channels. So I, I think that's what we should expect on that front. I prefer Amazon, but I really just, you know, Apple's name keeps coming up and Apple's yeah. been aggressive in the sports space, right? They're into the MLS. They're into major league baseball. Yeah. Amazon's into Thursday night football, but I think when you've, May not one but two commitments to you know pick up a regular portion of the, the the viewing product for for a particular sport as a media entity makes me think that you might be you know really willing to go in there and, and make sure that you continue progressing in that space. And Apple's a very very rich company. They are. We do. We know that. We know yeah. they are a very rich company. That is a good point. And uh, one of the things I said, or I mentioned, not earlier, that Amazon's a poor company. Oh yeah, Jeff Bezos. Be they're, they're doing all right, too. I mean, yeah, they, they do all right for themselves. He bought the commanders had he chosen to. I know there was that old thing. His name was all involved in uh, that old situation. But uh, one thing I did mention earlier that I did want to touch back on is I said, should Utah fans be concerned? I do not think so because Mark Harlan's not concerned. I no. trust the leadership. I trust the president's making these decisions. That's why I still think as much as it's like, what's going on? Why hasn't this gotten done? That, that aspect of it makes us want to be nervous. We shouldn't because we trust the leadership involved. And look, I think Commissioner Kalayakov is one that, look, I don't think he's given us a reason not to trust him yet. I, has he done a perfect job? No. What commissioner has, though, in general? But I, I still trust the presidents and I trust the athletic directors to get this done. Where is your trust level at for those people and then the commissioner as well? I, I don't have a trust level right now because I don't really have anything to go off of. You know, That's I get people locked on Pac-12 all the time, just absolutely ripping and crushing George K. He's terrible. He's awful. He's piloting this thing into the ground. He's terrible. I'm like, he took over a mess from Larry Scott. Larry Scott is someone who we have a tangible amount of information to go through and say, this dude didn't do a good job. And it's his fault. And everyone that was a part of that and such, it's their fault primarily not entirely but primarily as to why the Pac-12 finds itself in the situation that it does right there were several missteps everybody understands that George George Klyovkov has been in that commissioner's chair for like an hour yeah okay he's barely been there he's made some changes that I'm a fan of by the way 
they've been small in the grand scheme of things compared to negotiating a media rights deal. But I like getting rid of divisions. I, I think that that was a really good move. But that's not, you know, super relevant to the conversation we're having now. So people are just looking at George K and saying, oh, he's terrible because he doesn't have a deal yet. Well, okay. But you can't make a full judgment on him until you actually see the deal. Because here's the thing. George K is, you know, he's all his, all his chips are in the table here. He's got a background in Las Vegas. He knows how to throw, throw money into the middle of the table and say, all right, let's let it ride one way or the other, ride or die. And the longer this goes on, the greater the impact of the media deal is going to be on George Klyovkov's reputation. Because all the flack he's taking, all the flack the conference is taking, if he somehow... And I don't know that it's particularly likely. I don't anticipate it, but I also don't rule it out. If he is able to get a deal that surpasses our expectations and maybe even surpasses the Big 12, Pac-12 presidents have said they feel confident they can do that. I don't know. If they could have, they would have done that already. But let's say there's a 10% chance that happens, which is kind of how I feel about it. If that then happens, you look back and say George Klyovkov was brilliant. Yes. You look back and say, wow, remember all that time when we were trashing the Pac-12 and saying it was going to die and all that sort of stuff, and he just stood there, worked in the shadows, got this deal done, and now it's better than we ever thought. If he does that, then he's the smartest man in in, in the realignment space outside of Kevin Warren and, and Greg Sankey, the commissioners who negotiated the current deals for the Big Ten and the SEC. Big Ten has a new commissioner, uh, yep. by the way, Tony Petetti or uh, Petitti, or, or um, <laughs> I forgot. Um, yeah, you know, P E T I T T I Pettit Pettit E Pet. Sure. Yeah, I don't know something like that. I knew and, Kevin Warren was out, but I had forgotten who the new. They, I didn't know if they had officially hired. Someone. Yeah, yeah, no, they they have they have officially hired him. He was the uh, the right hand man for Rob Manfred at uh, at Major League Baseball. But w- when I look at George Klyovkov, I say I'm judging you on this deal. If you get something close to the Big Twelve, then yeah, all this stuff would have been worth it. If you get something above the Big Twelve, yeah, it was. But if you deliver something that's way below the Big Twelve then yeah, it's going to be a much more harsh judgment in my view. But everyone wants to jump to conclusions and say George Klyovkov is terrible. I'm like, he hasn't given you anything tangible to really judge him on. You can't hold his feet to the fire for USC and UCLA leaving. That was set in motion 15 years ago with Larry Scott. That was inevitable. There's no commissioner in the world who could have prevented that from happening. I mean, USC literally, literally, as a university, shut down expansion in the Pac-12 in 2021, said, no, we don't need this. We're here. We're fine. We don't need to go you know, shopping in the Big 12. We don't need to try to send a death nail over there, only to turn around and completely undermine the conference a year later. There's, there's nothing that George Klyovkov could have done about that because the presidents control a lot of what happens in these conferences, and not everybody understands that. Kevin Warren does. That's why he's not there anymore. Kevin Warren in the Big Ten wanted to expand further as commissioner. The president shut him down. So USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12, there's nothing George Klyovkov could have done. Absolutely, positively nothing. 
you're absolutely right. It's going to be interesting to see what that final judgment ends up looking like. And of course, all this revolves around the product that the Pac-12 puts out on the field. So let's talk about some of the other spring ball news going on around the Pac-12. And I think one of the ones that's really interesting, because look, this is locked on Utes, but... Spring football's people, going on? Yeah, exactly. I know. It still feels like it's just media, <laughs> media rights deals with everything we got going on. But oh, um, yeah. obviously, it's locked on Utes. But what happens with the other teams really matters because it affects Utah. So one of the... Th- interesting moves i was curious to have you on to talk about spencer was the fact that cliff kingsbury is now at usc like, yeah all, curious all done in uh was it thailand did he go over to taiwan yeah, yeah he was in taiwan. taiwan Taiwan. he went over there with uh, turned his phone off all that wasn't really interested then kind of went the what we see a lot of coaches do and they end up just going to um alabama as like an offensive analyst and look cliff kingsbury is a huge name I don't know about you, Spencer. This doesn't change my win projections or anything like that or the way I feel about USC because I never once questioned their offense. No, it's Lincoln Riley hiring a friend who doesn't need any money because he's in the most lucrative business in the country, which is being a fired football coach. Yeah. And he wants an opportunity to rebuild his image a little bit. What better way to do that than hitch your wagon to the best offensive mind in college football and the best player in college football? Exactly. So, you know, when I first saw it, I thought, boy, that's weird. But then I thought about it. And, you know, Mark Colkin of Lockdown USC made this point. He's doing a Lane Kiffin or not a Lane Kiffin. Well, Cliff Kingsbury is doing a Lane Kiffin. Yeah. Lincoln Riley is doing a Nick Saban. He said, you were a head coach. It failed. Why don't you come over here? Work for me. You're overqualified for this position, meaning I'll be able to get value out of you. And then you can go be a head coach again somewhere else. And, you know, Cliff Kingsbury, after how things ended with, The Cardinals, not a super hot coaching name, you know, given that his college coaching record was not as stellar as Matt Rule, who got fired in the NFL and boom, immediately picked up the Nebraska job. And I loved that hire for Nebraska because I think Matt Rule is a great college coach. But Cliff Kingsbury, I think, does have to rebuild his image a little bit. You can do that at USC. They're going to be a really good team. He's going to be the quarterback's coach who will coach the player that is going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft. Athletic departments and SIDs and hiring committees across the country, they will eat that sort of stuff up when considering Cliff Kingsbury as a potential candidate, whether for a head coaching or an OC position. You know who else might eat that up, depending on who the team is in the NFL level. Not as Cliff Kingsbury, an NFL head coach, but if Caleb Williams ends up being the pick, could be their new offensive coordinator at the NFL yeah, level. Yeah, that's a great call. That's a, that's, that's mm-hmm. a great call that he could say, I know this guy, I got a relationship with him, I worked with him. I think that's a really good guy to hit your wagon to if you're Cliff Kingsbury. So it's, you know, kind of peculiar. I don't think it's ground altering. I don't suddenly view USC as a recruiting. He's an offensive analyst and quarterbacks coach. He's, I don't think he's even going to do much recruiting. I think he's just there to coach football. And, and that's all that, you know, he needs to do. It's all USC wants him to do. And he's a good offensive mind. So I think that's, you know, something that Lincoln Riley sees as a plus and he's also his friend. And we know Lincoln Riley likes hiring his friends as most people do. So yeah, it's, it's kind of strange, but then also makes a lot of sense. Exactly. I think it does make a lot of sense. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And as we said, the whole reason Cliff, one of the biggest reasons Cliff Kingsbury is there is obviously the relationship with Lincoln Riley, but I think the chance to work with Caleb Williams is really appearing appealing overall, but there's also obviously not just the only quarterback situation going on in LA. We know how secure Caleb Williams is UCLA has also got a little bit of quarterback battle of their own. And look, we've talked a lot about the Utah spring quarterback battle on this show, but this is a very different one because look, 
whoever is the quarterback that starts the first starts the first game or whatever for Utah. We hope it's Cam Rising, but if it's if it is Brandon Rose, if it is Nate Johnson, if it is Bryson Barnes, they're not the long term starter. Whoever wins the UCLA job is genuinely going to be the long term starter. I still feel like this is going to end up being Dante Moore. Have you heard anything from spring camp that has really deterred that from you? I have not right now. I, I think that's about as close to an open competition as you have. Uh, by the way, I believe the uh, new Big Ten commissioner's name is pronounced Petiti. Um, there you go. Anyway, just just an aside. But I, I think you look at UCLA's quarterback room, it's one of the biggest questions of the conference. I mean, UCLA was a player in the Pac-12 championship picture last year. They, of course, beat Utah. They very nearly beat USC. They started 6-0. They beat Washington. Like They were a really, really good team. They influenced – who ended up playing in the Pac-12 championship game. They could do that again this year, but they don't have Dorian Thompson-Robinson anymore. And you're looking at a guy in Colin Schley who is coming over from Kent State with some experience. I don't know a ton about him, but generally you had that sort of transfer. He probably has an inclination he's going to be able to play. Dante Moore's a five-star freshman. They flipped him from Oregon at the last second. Highly sought-after recruit, super refined, high high floor, high ceiling sort of quarterback there for the Bruins. But then you also have uh, Ethan Garbers, I'm pretty sure, is still in that room, right? So I, I don't know which direction they're going to go. I liked what I've seen from Garbers. I thought he should have transferred to Cal. They took Sam Jackson from TCU instead. But, you know, th that is, I, I think, one of the most intriguing elements to spring football this year, who emerges as the quarterback there in, uh, in, in Los Angeles for the Bruins. It is going to be really interesting. Just like, as, as I said, it's going to be fascinating to see if Cam isn't ready to go. Who's going to be the guy? It seems like it's going to be Brandon Rose for Utah, at least at this moment. But Bryson Barnes has a lot of experience, and we'll see when it comes game time if they do end up going in the direction of a Bryce, of a Brandon Rose. Or if Nate Johnson can get back up to speed, will he be involved in it? We'll be talking about that a lot more on next week's Locked On Ute Show. But there is one other spring news I just think is very interesting. It just speaks to what's going to be one of the storylines in the Pac-12 this coming season, Spencer. And that's, of course, Colorado and what Deion Sanders has going on. Oh, yes. Their spring game attendance. My gosh. It is basically it's gonna be on national television. Their spring yeah, game will be nationally televised. Nationally televised. I, I've never seen hype like this before. It's why I said, uh man, I've also I, I can't remember if I've asked you this before. I really do wonder if like uh, you USC might have the biggest target on their back still, but man, I think it's one A, one B. I think Colorado has a massive one too, because I think a lot of people are really gonna be excited to get the chance to be a Dion, but uh it just shows yeah. that. Excited everyone I, is I think Colorado. that's more I think that's more a feeling for fans than it is for players because Colorado is probably going to be a four or five win team this year. That's true. Like they, they are adding a bunch of talent. Yes, they're so much better than last year, but their schedule is brutal. But they're coming, Spencer. They have <laughs> they have a quarterback in Shadur Sanders who has to make that FCS to FBS jump. We've seen it before. Cam Ward did so successfully. Also had some bumps along the way. And I don't think Shadur Sanders is more talented than Cam Ward. So I think that's a reasonable expectation that a year of growth is probably to be expected. Doesn't mean he can't be productive. He probably will be at some level. But will he be the best version of himself that he could be next year? No, I don't think so. So you have all those elements. And then, you know, all these transfers, all these players coming in. But look at where they were starting from. You know, Lincoln Riley revitalized the USC roster that still had four and five star talent on it. Right. Colorado, there, there, there was nothing. There was nothing in the cupboards when Deion Sanders took over. There's now something, but it was so bad last year. It can't only take one year. I just cannot see that happening. If I'm wrong, then Deion Sanders is about to be 
you know, he's about to be the biggest story in college football, maybe anyway, but he would take it to another stratosphere if he got them to a bowl game this year. I don't see that happening. I think that can happen in year two for him, but year one in Boulder, got to keep expectations a little bit temperate. You should win more than one game and you should be competitive more so than, than you were last year. Like those are reasonable expectations, but if they get to a bowl game, that'd be incredible. I mean, if the, like six or more wins, ridiculous turnaround. And he might be out of Boulder in the following season. But that's <laughs> that's a conversation for, for for another day. But, yeah, I mean, the one thing you can always say about Dion, he's interesting. He he's, gets attention. Yes, he he's, does. He's a big name. He's flashy. And that's something Colorado has been missing for a long, long time. And that's why they made the hire. Exactly. It's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out over the course of the when the season rolls around. And of course, we still got some spring football. It'll be interesting to check it out on ESPN and just see what kind of a production and everything they they make out of it. If you guys want more information on the Pac-12 as a conference, make sure you guys head over and check out Spencer McLaughlin on Locked On Pac-12 Podcast. You guys can give him a follow at Smalls underscore 55. Look how perfectly hung that flag is, Spencer. Yes, I know. It is. It is perfectly aligned with the same amount of blue space on the either on either side of the banner there. It is perfectly balanced, as all things should be. Right, Thanos? Yes, very right. <laughs> that is a perfect way to end this one. Spencer, appreciate you coming on. Of course. For more Utah content, make sure you guys keep it with us next week. We are a week away from the spring game. We'll be diving into all that and a little bit of on the NFL draft as the Utah hope to have a couple of players drafted on next, next week's Locked on Utes.